Though you be blessed by the reading of God's Word, you may be seated this morning. As Jared said, we're continuing our way through the book of Ephesians, and the book of Ephesians is all about the nature and purpose of the church, that God has in His sovereignty called out the church, called out, that's the name of the series, Ecclesia, the called out ones, that through God's wisdom, He called out people to be a part of this thing called the church, and the church is not this building. Uh, I know here in America we think church, we automatically think building, but For the people in Ephesus, the people of the New Testament, the church was a gathering of believers of people. So wherever a gathering of believers was, that was the church. And so this is what Paul is talking about. He's been talking about this through chapter 1 and 2. Is That's the sovereignty of God. It's God calling these people to become the church. And now in chapter 3, 4, 5, and 6, we're going to turn to talk about really then what is the church. That's how God assembles the churches in chapters 1 and 2. That through God's uh, sovereign will, He calls together through the revelation of His Son Jesus, those who were once lost or saved become the church. Now what? That's what the next few chapters are going to be teaching us. So what? So if this is what God has done, now what? And here in chapter 3, Paul begins to move that way. Move Uh, to um, that place of what is this thing called the church. And we see in this, uh, we see here that there's four times in these 13 uh, verses the word mystery. We see that over and over. We see, he says uh, in verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me. We see it again in verse 4, the mystery of Christ. We see it again, uh, uh, again, he says, in the mystery hidden from all the ages. And so there's this idea of mystery, the mystery of the church. When we see that in our language, we think mystery, we have this idea of like a, a, a murder mystery. Right? The, like what, what's going on, what's unseen, what's unknown. Like when we think mystery, we have this concept, but when the people of Ephesus heard the word mystery, they didn't have that same idea of what mystery was that we have. What the word mystery means here is that there's something known, but there's some things about it that aren't known. And so the mystery comes out of Genesis chapter uh, 15. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 15. Right, so if we know the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's really the book where uh, God's beginning to establish this thing called a covenant with His people. Right? So Adam and Eve, they sin in the garden. They take the fruit. They eat of it. They become sinful. And being sinful, they're cast out of the presence of God. There's a broken relationship with God. And yet in chapter 3, there's already a covenant that begins to be established by God. That God will one day reconcile His people back to Himself. And that plays all the way forward to us, the church. So all the way in chapter 3, there's this mystery of how God's going to reassemble us back for His glory. And then in chapter 15 and chapter 22, uh, both places talk about Abraham and God made a covenant relationship with Abraham. 
And remember, he takes Abraham out and he takes Abraham, Abram and says, look at the stars. And then there's this covenant, this promise that God gives to Abraham. He says to Abraham, hey, through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations that will ever be on the planet. Well, that mystery, that covenant plays all the way throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament is going to continue to go back to that mystery, that knowledge that God's going to bless all the nations. Well, as you look through the Old Testament, the nation that got blessed over and 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 over again was what nation? Israel. That God had made a covenantal promise in the Old Testament with one nation. But what did He promise Abraham in chapter 15 and again in chapter 22? That He'd bless what? Every nation. And so here Paul says, hey, this mystery that God was going to bless all the nations, he let me know about it. Right? And so that's where we begin this morning, that it's not a mystery of the unknown, but it's the mystery of the unknown and how is it going to happen. The unknown is God's going to bless the nations, but the unknown is how is God going to bless all the nations through Christ Jesus. And so that's where Paul begins here in this chapter. And so I want to look at four things this morning about this mystery. The first one is the revelation of the mystery. The second is the explanation of the mystery. The third is the proclamation of the mystery. And last is the intention of the mystery. So what's the mystery? The mystery is that God is going to bless all of the nations. We already see a little bit of that in chapter 2. Right? Remember, that's the whole idea that now all of a sudden, it's not just the Israelites who are going to be blessed, who are being, going to be called into the church, correct? It's also what the Gentiles, you and I. And so all of a sudden, the mystery begins to be unfolded. That here all of a sudden, through the finished work of Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus is taking the Jews and the Gentiles and making them to what we looked at last week. One humanity or one race. And we'll see that throughout this chapter this morning. And so look, let's look at the first one, the revelation of the mystery. And so what does Paul say? Paul says, for this reason, for what reason? The mystery. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. We're going to get to what is Paul in prison for. But I want you to notice what Paul says first. Who does Paul say he's a prisoner of? See, at this moment, Paul is in the prison of Rome. He's on house arrest. We're going to see what is he on house arrest for. But notice that Paul does not say, I'm a prisoner of the Romans. He says, I'm a prisoner of who? Because he understands that God has a purpose for him. Right? We looked at this back when we studied the book of Daniel. Remember the book of Daniel, we always saw that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that God was sovereign over all things. And so remember Daniel, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were cast into the fiery furnace and they said, even if our God doesn't rescue us because he's sovereign and in control of our things, if you're not the one that's throwing us into this fiery furnace, who is? God is. We saw that again in chapter 6 of Daniel, when Daniel was thrown into the lions, and he said, my God is in control of all 
thing. And now we see Paul. Paul had the mindset that, wait, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, not because I've been imprisoned by the Romans, but God has a calling on my life for a purpose. So he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And I wonder, when I read this this week, I wonder for me how often I miss what God is doing in my life. And I look at my circumstances rather than the one who's in control of all things. And I wasn't going to say this this morning, but this past Monday was a horrible day for me. I got some news about my eyesight that was really discouraging. And I remember driving home, and I remember in my weeping tears thinking, why, God, why, why? I don't understand. Rather than being like Paul and saying, okay, God, you have a reason for my eyes going bad. Like, I was more concerned with my circumstances than the God who's in sovereign and control of all things. God knew from the beginning of time that on Monday I'd get this bad news about my eyesight. Did He not? And so whatever ailment is going on in your life, God knows. And can we say like Paul, I am a prisoner for Jesus Christ. I have this ailment because God in His sovereignty allowed me to have it. See, I could preach a whole message just on that one, those three words, a prisoner for Christ. And so he says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. We've got to ask ourselves, what is Paul in prison for? Like, how come Paul's under house arrest for the Gentiles? Well, let's turn over to uh, Acts. Acts chapter 21. I'll story tell this more than read the passage. It starts in verse 27. What had happened was that Paul had gone to Jerusalem. Paul had gone to take the gospel message to the Gentiles. So here Paul is. He walks into Jerusalem. You know what Jerusalem is. It's the hub of what? Judaism. It's where all the Jews were. And so here Paul is taking the gospel message to a Jewish town, but in that Jewish town there were Gentile people. And so G G Jesus tells Paul, hey, take the gospel message. And so he's there for about seven days. And he's talking to the people around the temple. Because the temple is where you would go to gather to hear about God. Well, who wasn't allowed in the temple? You and me, the Gentiles. But yet the Gentiles wanted to get close enough to God so they'd gather around the temple. And here comes Paul with the gospel message to tell them, hey, this is what's going on inside the temple. I'll tell you about really what's going on. So he begins to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And then this crowd gathers around him. They try to lay hands on him and it says this men of Israel help this man who is teaching everything everywhere against the people of the law and this place moreover he even brought the Greeks into the temple or the Gentiles into the temple 
And so here Paul is, taking the mystery of the gospel that says, hey, this gospel message of salvation isn't just for the Jews, it's now also for you Gentiles. That's what God had told me to do, is to take the message to the Gentiles. And that stirs up a bunch of chaos around the temple. And so the people go to seize him, they go to grab him, and they accuse him of taking a Gentile into the temple. That's a huge no-no. Well, that's an accusation. That isn't what happened. But they throw him in prison. So we turn back to or to Acts chapter, or Ephesians chapter 3. So that's the reason that Paul is a prisoner because he's taking the gospel message to the Gentiles. If you remember back at his conversion in Acts chapter 9, remember that Paul is breathing out murderous threats of the church to, to the Gentiles. Like he's the main one of the Jewish people that didn't want to see the gospel message taken to the Gentiles. And so he's going back and forth. He's on the road to Damascus to take these Gentiles, these people, and throw them and kill them that are spreading the good news of the Word of God. And then on the Damascus road, we all know what happens. He has this encounter with God. We looked at that in the first week. And in that encounter, Jesus tells him, hey, he tells... Um, he tells the man that's going to disciple Paul, hey, this is going to be my instrument for me to the Gentiles. He's going to be my mouthpiece to the Gentiles. And so out of obedience, that's what Paul is doing. And so he says, for this reason, I'm in prison on behalf of the Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship that God's grace has given to me. He understands that the revelation is not on his own merit. He understands that it's not his own thinking, it's not his own studying that gave him the revelation of the mystery. It's his understanding that God gave him the mystery of the revelation of the mystery. He says, do you not know that I'm just the steward of what God has given to me? Stewardship means this, that we have been given something by someone else to take care of. And he says, so I understand that God has given this to me to care for and to be obedient with what God has called me to do which is God's grace he was given to me for you again verse 3 the mystery that was made known to me by what by revelation as I have written briefly what he's talking about is this conversion back in Acts chapter 9 if you have time this week read that his conversion and so there we understand that the revelation comes from Jesus Christ. The mystery was revealed to him, not through his intellect, but through his heart, through the message of Jesus. And then it says, what's the explanation of the mystery? So what is the mystery? This is the explanation in verse 4 through 6. It says, when you read this, he's talking to the church of Ephesus, the Gentiles. When you Gentiles read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to the sons, which was, was not made known to the sons of man and other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. And so what he's saying is, hey, that mystery, back in Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 22, no one's known about that mystery yet. That hasn't been made known to anyone except now through the apostles and the prophets and now 
to me. God has revealed the mystery to me. And here's what the mystery is. What is the mystery? It says, which you have not made known to the sons of men and other generations that has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles. So now he's going to unfold the mystery. What's the mystery? Threefold is the mystery. The mystery is that the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, are now what? Three things. Fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So he lists three things. We looked at those three things last week. The three things, again, are fellow heirs. Like in all of a sudden, the finished work of Jesus Christ and then placing their hope and faith and trust in Jesus makes them a fellow heir. Now there's equality. Like, Do you see that in the text? And so for us today, it means we're all equal if we are followers of Jesus Christ. Red, yellow, black, and white. I used to love that. Remember that song? Red, yellow, black, and white, they're all. Man, like five of us know it. I thought we were at Powell's Chapel. Let's try that again. Am I singing it wrong, Miss Teresa? I saw you. I caught you. He's like, no wonder he doesn't know what he's talking about up there. Sorry. They're all pressing his sight, right? You can call me out later, Miss Teresa, for calling you out. But that's the idea, that now all of a sudden, all, of God, all the people of God are fellow heirs of what? The gospel. We're all equal. I just wonder if that's true in our own hearts. When we look around the world, when we look at other believers, do we really see ourselves equal to them? Or do we see ourselves a little bit better than them? Like, are we better than the people in Africa or Haiti? Or, or the third world countries don't have it as good as we do? Do we have this elitist, well, look at us, we're Americans? That, that's not the truth. The truth is, we're all equal. We all have the same Father. Therefore, we all have the same gifts at our disposal. But yet, the reality is, we don't really live that way, do we? And then he says this, not only are you fellow heirs, but what? You also what? Members of the same body. Now, now catch this, go to Corinthians, not now, but in your study. In Corinthians, Paul talks about us being of one body. And he says in that passage that all the body parts are of equal value. Now some of us ha- have different functions in the body. But we're all still what equal, but we're all still part of the same body. And yet I wonder to myself, do we live that way? Or do we have the American body, the African body, the Asian body? Because like I said last week, when we get to heaven, I think a lot of us are going to be shocked. Heaven is not white. Did I say that out loud? Like heaven is a collective people group to do one thing and that's to bring the glory to God. We're all together equal fellow heirs as one body, as one member to Jesus Christ. He's the head, we're the body. And then he says this. We're what? Also partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
partakers of what promise? Anyone want to know what the promise is? If we're partakers in the promise, what are we partaking? The promise is that Christ Jesus has saved us and set us free from the bondage of hell. We're therefore all partakers of that, which means that the level, that the cross at its foot is level. Do we live like that? You see, that's the mystery that's been revealed. The mystery is that we are all one body, serving one purpose, and that's what the glory of God, we'll get to that here in a moment. So that's the explanation of the mystery. This is how he did it, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's how he answered the question back in Genesis chapter 15. How is God going to bless all the nations? Well, God's going to bless all the nations through the finished work of Jesus on the cross because all nations are going to be blessed because of the work of the cross. Like there, there's no distinction for God throughout all the world who's going to be saved and not going to be saved based on ethnicity. So then he says this, the proclamation of the mystery, verses 7 and 9. He says it this way, of this gospel, of this mystery, of this message, I became a minister, a preacher, one that heralds the good news. I'm preaching the good news according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of His power. He's saying, I'm a minister. It's not because of my qualities because He's going to say in a few moments, I'm the least of these. And so He's going back to saying, God is the one that has called me to herald the great message, to proclaim the mystery. Back to Acts chapter 9 where He said, hey, I want to use you, Saul. I want to make you Paul to be a minister of the gospel of the great mystery that reveals the gospel to all the nations, not just to the Jewish people. And so he says this. So I'm a, a minister. I've been given to it by God. And what have I been given? The ability to preach. And what is he going to preach? He says it this way. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. And what is he going to preach to the Gentiles? He says this. This is what I'm going to preach. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden in the ages that in that God who created all things and so he's here to proclaim the mystery to the Gentiles of what? God's unsearchable riches. What does that mean? What does that word unsearchable mean? It means that they, there's no end to them. If you've come to the place that you've found out all of God's richness, come see me afterwards. I need to talk to you. But I promise for the rest of your life, if you study God's Word and you read God's Word every day now to your 105 years old, I promise you this, because God's Word promises us this, you'll never get enough of Jesus. You'll never find out enough of Him because they're unsearchable. Even if we just look at the one word love. 
If I just said, hey, I want you to study God's love now until you die, you will never find enough of God's love, will you? And that's just one of the many attributes of God. What if I told you to do it on mercy? What if I told you to do it on grace? What what if I told you to do it on his kindness, his goodness, his righteousness? I I mean, that's just six. Anyone's mind starting to go, like he's saying, I'm here to preach the, the unfathomable riches of God to the Gentiles. That's the mystery. The ongoing work of the cross ought to always be a mystery to us. Right? Which ought to somehow in our soul keep us hungry for the things of God. Like that, that's the thing. That's the, one of the beautiful things. Anyone ever been to a real expensive restaurant? And you go to the restaurant and you order this thing and the meal's like 57 bucks and you're like, man, this is going to be awesome. It's going to fill me up. And they bring it out. It's like, wait a second. It's like one little shrimp and it's like some squirt of something. Like it's just enough to whet your appetite. Does it not make you hungry for more? Well, that's what God is saying to us through His Word. Like, we ought to come to God's Word all the time and never get full of it because there's so much and He still wants to give it to us freely. The unsearchable riches of God's grace and love. That's the proclamation that He's going to make. Here's what one writer said. I I love how he says this. He says this is the metaphor of this passage. He says, it's like this. You're in the classroom of God's universe. Think about that for a moment. We're in the classroom of God. God is, we're in his classroom. He says, he, God, is the teacher. We're going to get to this in a moment. The angels are the students. The church is the illustration. And the subject is what? The manifold wisdom of God. And so he says, this is the, the last part. He's saying this. He says, I want to bring to light to everyone the mystery hidden for the ages. Verse 10. So that through the what? The church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's one of the sweetest verses in the Bible about the church. He says it this way. So that through what? The church, that's you and I, the gathering of God's people would do what? Make known to who? The rulers and the authorities and the heavenly places. So what God is doing, He's collecting the church, you and I, His people, into a place so that you and I would now come to give the glory to God so that the heavenly places, the angels, would see what God is up to. Think about that for a moment. God assembled His church, the called out ones, you and I, into His church so that you and I would be revealed the mystery of the manifold wisdom of God to the angels. I think, just let me say that again. God has taken you, taken me, and taken all of us in this church, assembled us together so that we, His church, would be a proclamation to the angels about the mystery of God's wisdom. Hello? Like, 
That is mind-blowing. Here's the beautiful part about this word in this text. You know what the word manifold means? I'm probably saying it wrong, Rob. It's not the manifold on your car. Alright? The word manifold we can get from the original Hebrew back in Genesis where it says about Joseph that his father gave him a coat of many colors. That's the word manifold means. It means vibrant. It means colorful. It, It means explosive with color. Well, think about it for a moment. What would the manifold wisdom of God be? Think about heaven for a moment. And think about what we talked about a few moments ago. That God would bless all the nations. What are all the nations? Red, yellow, black, white. Think about all the vibrant color and skin. He's going to assemble all the nations. Again, it's not going to be all white people. It's not going to be a Caucasian heaven. It's going to be a vibrant place of the heavenlies. So God's going to bring all of His children, all the colors of the world to one place to be what? The manifold, the colorful display of God blessing the nations back to the heavenlies. That is amazing. That is amazing to me that he would choose that word. The colorful demonstration of the people of God, the children of God, the church of God, to be his wisdom of God that it might be made known to the rulers and the authorities that have been in places. What for? This was according to the eternal purpose. And so what's the eternal purpose? Let me say it this way. The church is not for lost people primarily. The church is not meant for missions primarily. The church is not meant for studying God's Word primarily. The church is not for fellowship primarily. What is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church primarily is this, for the glory of God. So he's saying, I'm going to gather all of my people, all the colors of my people, to give the glory back to me so that the heavenlies get to see my glory. Is that not amazing? That's the intention of the mystery. The mystery is for the glory of God. And what else? It says this. This is the promise of the mystery. That this is according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have what boldness and access with confidence through our faith to Him. Because of this great mystery, the revelation of Jesus, now we have access, like I said last week, to the heavenly places. Amen? To give glory to God. And so the question I have for us this morning is, do we believe this? This morning, do we believe in the, revel- the revelation of the mystery? The explanation, the proclamation, and the intention. Here's what I know about this passage. And this ought to shake all of us. Is that God wants to use all of God's people to what? Reach all of God's people. Which means you and I 
must be in the business of reaching people. Do we not want to bring more and more and more and more people into the family of God so that they can have fulfillment and purpose of their life? And the fulfillment and purpose of their life is what? To give glory to God. Are we doing that? Do we believe that God wants to use us the same way He used Paul to bring the Gentiles to God so that they would give glory to God? Do we believe that, church? Do we believe that God wants to use all of God's people to reach all of God's people? Which means, God, I've said this over and over again in this place, God has placed you right where He placed you for one purpose and one purpose only. That's to be the herald of the good news to those who are far from Jesus so they would hear the good news and hearing the good news, they'd surrender their will and their life to God and therefore they, once they do that, they would then give glory back to God. So if you ever wondered, man, why am I working at where I work? Well, the answer is for the glory of God. Why am I in school? For the glory of God. Why am I retired? For the glory of God. Why am I, you fill in the blank, for the glory of God? And the question is, do we believe that's where God has placed us for that very purpose? Because do we believe so that, what, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the heavenly places? I've said it before, I'll say it throughout this series. God is not built, done building His church. Is He? How do we know that? Because we still sit here today. I guarantee you this. The last believer that comes into the kingdom of God, when that is in place, the Lord Jesus will return because then His mission is completed here on earth. And so as long as you and I get up and we have breath after breath after breath after breath, it means that the kingdom of God, He is not done building it Himself and He wants to use you and I as the primary instruments to continue to build the temple of God, so that in the temple of God, all of God's people would do what? Bring glory back to God. Are we doing that, church? That's the challenge. Let us pray. God, that is a great mystery, the church. And yet it's been revealed to us. None of us in this place this morning can say it's a mystery. Because in your word, you have revealed your mystery. The mystery is that you would send your son Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for all who have sinned. And through that sac sacrifice, through your atonement, you'd gather your people. And through gathering your people, you'd make us into the church, into one body. And it's in that one body, God, that you've called us to always give you honor and glory. I pray that here at Palace Chapel, if we are not doing that, God, that you bring stark conviction to each one of us. That if we are not gathering as the people of God in this place, and that you're always getting the glory, God, that I pray that you bring conviction time after time. I believe the way you said it in John 15, 16, and 17 that you, your desire is that we would be one the way you and your Father are one. And I pray if there isn't oneness in this body, God, that you would start with that conviction. God, again, if there's any bitterness or hatred or 
ill intent toward another member of this church that God this morning you would convict our hearts your word is so clear you say it this way by the way that we love one another and we really are the church that the world will know where your I pray for that with all my heart bring conviction Lord Jesus let us be the church Display your manifold wisdom to the heavenly places. You'd get all the glory, all the honor, and all the renown. Pray this in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, if you have not placed your hope and faith into Him, let there be no better time for you to come. Find me, find one of the deacons. We'd love to share the gospel message with you. That is the way to become a part of the body. It's not by walking this aisle. It's not by asking to be a member of this church. The only way to be a member of the body of Christ is that we would surrender our will and our life over to the care of God by understanding that He died in our place to forgive us of all of our sins. And this morning, if you're a believer here, like I said in my prayer, if there's any stirring of malice, hatred, or resentment, pray that you wouldn't leave here with that because that will never bring glory and honor to God I pray that we would be a church that would be unified with the glory and the renown of Christ Jesus 